Hi, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light the fundamental issues surrounding health and wellness in the food and beverage industry. This week, my guest is Haley Traub. Originally from Minnesota, she moved to New York City for college and eventually found herself working behind some of New York's most esteemed bars. While she's made a name for herself as one of New York's best bartenders, she's also become an advocate for mental health and work-life balance. Hey everyone, I'm Alex Jump and this is the Focus on Health podcast. Today I have a very special guest and friend, Haley Traub. Hi Haley. Hello. Um, Haley is a native of Minnesota and has been a leading force in the New York hospitality scene for nearly a decade. She's run many bar programs, including Butter and Scotch, Rest in Peace. I saw that they just had to close. I know, just Very close sad. their doors. Um, and Dutch Kills. And Nat, you are also a fellow Speedrack alumni and, of course, the 2018 national champion. So that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Now you are the general manager of Attaboy, Tales of the Cocktail's Best American Cocktail Bar 2019. And probably most importantly, you're the dog mom to your French four-legged son and my four-legged daughter's virtual boyfriend, Harold. (laughs) (laughs) Most importantly. One day Harold and Julep will get to me and I know it will be love at first sniff. Oh my God, I can't wait. (laughs) Um, But more seriously, uh, Haley, you and I, uh, we connected on social media, I feel like a few years ago now, and um, I obviously can't speak for you, but personally, I felt instantly connected to you because of your open and honest dialogue that you share on social media. I kind of felt like um, I knew you before I even really met you, um, whether it has to do with dating or your work and personal life and or being in therapy you never shy away from speaking your mind and sharing your very honest and real window of the world. Um, And I really appreciate that about you. So that is very kind of you to say. Well, I'm super excited to have you. Welcome. Um, Thank thank you you for joining. Thank you. Um, So since I already kind of like brought up your incredibly open dialogue on social media, when it comes to talking about your own journey and maintaining mental health, maybe we just like start there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Um, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, I, I've always um, found it like very, very important just to be open about things like that. Because I, uh, you know, when I was 17 and moved to New York, I was really struggling in my first year, you know, here at college and, you know, living in New York, having come from the Midwest, and I was having a really hard time. And I ended up, um, going to see the like mental health services at NYU, which -hmm. I was very fortunate to have access to being an NYU student. Um, You know, I started seeing a therapist and I uh, started on medication. And I remember one day calling my dad and talking to him about it. And he was like, well, yeah, like I've, you know, been medicated my entire life. And it was such a crazy thing to hear because it was something my family had never talked about. Like I had no idea that my dad saw a therapist weekly and was, you know, medicated for multiple mental illnesses. And Mm -hmm. just after like learning that and beginning my own journey with my diagnosis, diagnoses, diagnoses, Diagnoses. uh, (laughs) I sort of like made a little vow to myself of like, I'm going to talk to people about this and I'm going to be open about it because 
first and foremost, there needs to be, you know, we need to do away with the stigma about it. And secondly, like, this is just, this is who I am. So why wouldn't I be open about it? Yeah, totally. I mean, and, you know, it, it's definitely a, a newer shift in our perspective as a culture of, of, you know, learning to be open and talk about a lot, a lot of things in life, you know, but definitely mental health, I think, is a huge one. And, you know, what a, what a difference like your life could have had if, if your, you know, family had talked about that and not to, by no means to put any like shame on your parents, because, you know, like that, it just wasn't, it wasn't acceptable um, for so long for people to talk about it. And so like, you know, but just being able to recognize now, like, oh, like, you know, I could have understood so much better what I was experiencing if somebody had just talked to me about it before. Um, Or if it had been normalized and I'd heard just other people that I know or people that I look up to um, talking about it too. Um, Right. You know, talking about our mental health on social media, it, it isn't easy. Like even I think for like you and I, like I'm a very open person and you're a very open person, but there's still sometimes when I like want to share something and finding the words to even do it is difficult. And, you know, kind of like you write something down, um, you know, and then you like delete it multiple times because you're like, no, that's not the way to say it. And, you know, even if you're comfortable sharing your own experiences with people, I think like navigating the conversations and the dialogue that you have can be really tricky because, you know, like we're not therapists. Of course. Um, And I will say like one thing that has helped me and that I think a lot of people should think about in using social media, you know, especially when it comes to posting about mental health, but honestly, like posting about anything is sort of just having this, this thought of, you know, who am I posting this for? Like, am I, am I posting this to, you know, stand on my soapbox or am I posting this because I think this is something people need to hear and be aware of, or am I posting this because I think someone else could benefit from hearing it or seeing it? And that's something that I've just really had to keep in mind, you know, when I do put stuff like this on social media is, you know, am I posting this because I want, I'm having a woe is me moment and and it's mm-hmm. okay. We all have those, you know, we all have these moments that we want to put something out there and, you know, receive, you know, receive the positive feedback and everything. But at the end of the day, that can't, that's not always beneficial and that's not always the healthiest approach. So that's sort of a way that I've had to look at it a lot is, you know, why am I posting this? Who am I posting this for? What is the benefit of this? Totally. I I can relate completely. And, you know, like I've, I've talked on social media about like my abortion and my, you know, my mom was very not happy about that and being able to be like, I thought a lot about this and I posted this for these reasons. And I think for a lot of people, even being, even saying like, I'm depressed, a lot of people would either be uncomfortable saying that or would have a lot of people in their life who would be uncomfortable that they said that. And so like being able to look inside and be like, why am I posting this? And like just having your own reasons and there's no like, you you know, there's no right or wrong reason, but as long as you have reasons for yourself that, you know, I think that's something really valuable. Exactly. Um, Yeah. But yeah, the language that you use when you're talking about mental health on, on social media is really important. Like, are there any things that you've, you know, learned along the way when you've been writing about these things that, you know, you wish you had thought about beforehand or? um... I mean, I will say language is just absolutely fascinating to me. And I think one of of the bummer parts of that is that as we have, 
you know, as a society moved being moved towards being just like so social media focused is language has kind of gotten bastardized, Mm -hmm. um, you know, both in the way we use it on social media and then, you know, as a byproduct, the way we use it in real life with with other humans face to face. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, you know, it's it's something there's an interesting sort of crossing of lines with, you know, the way we post about, um, you know, things on social media, but then also being in the hospitality industry, it's, it's kind of funny the way we use language in regards to mental health with, with our coworkers in the hospitality industry. And I, you know, the, the example that always kind of irks me is, you know, I know so many bartenders who love to, be like to describe themselves as OCD. Oh yeah. When basically what they're trying to say is that you know they're detail oriented. They're particular. And like, it's done a certain way, and yeah, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it again, it almost comes down to this like sort of stigma of, you know, no one, no one wants to work with the closer who you know is there until five in the morning because they're doing everything so so particular. And yeah. I I think then we sort of rather than you know owning up to our habits a lot of people are like oh well, you know like I'm just so OCD like that yeah. and and that's very harmful who, like it is yeah. and, I, and I think it's something and I, I just use OCD as an example you know there's certainly other ways that we use language incorrectly in a way that is yeah like harmful or hurtful mm-hmm. um you know as someone who is clinically moderately OCD to be around someone who's like oh yeah, I just like, I wiped the bottles down because I'm OCD. And it's like, well, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. You wiped the bottles down because you care about what you're doing and you should do that. Um, and I, that's, again, that's just sort of one example, but it's kind of, I think there's a lot of, you know, terminology and sort of phrases relating to mental health and relating to, you know, health and mental state in general that we sort of, we don't think about the way that we use them mm-hmm. and we don't, like you said, we don't realize that it could be very harmful because you also, you know, that's the thing with mental health is it's an invisible illness and you, you never know what someone you're talking to is dealing with. So if you're using, you know, health terminology as, you know, using it flippantly, you could potentially really be hurting someone or, you know, making them think like, Oh, maybe, you know, my illness doesn't mean as much as I thought it did or, and, you know, I think that's just something as we have become so reliant on social media and electronics and what have you, we've kind of fallen away from being thoughtful in our language. And I would really hope that as we, you know, gear in gear even further into this digital age that we can keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, and then like on the topic of social media, you know, like, I think you and I connected because we try really hard not just to show like the perfect or like the really good times on social media. I think that we're both like pretty honest and, um, you know, try to show all facets of our life. Um, you know, but talking about our struggle doesn't really like make us immune to that trap of like falling into like social media, painting this really unrealistic images of life. Like even for us, you know, like, um, and obviously I don't want to speak for you, but like, you know, being in this world that's like pretty much constantly on our phones and constantly on social media, like those, like looking at images all day long, like can really have a pretty negative effect on your mental health. Even if you're using your social media to try to like, you know, open up the world of mental health for others. Um, 
you know, if, if this, is this something that like, that you also find that you struggle with? And like, if so, like, what do you do when you start to feel that way? Totally. I, I mean, I will admit I, there's a reason I don't have like the screen time feature enabled on my phone because it would be horrifying to see, (laughs) you know, how much time I spend just doing the scroll Mm -hmm. and, you know, constantly checking my email and all that stuff. And yeah, I've never say, really looked at mine. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> I just, I don't want to know. It's it's better just to be ignorant for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I will say is it it became especially difficult um, at the start of the pandemic. Yeah. Was, you know, especially, you know, being based in New York. And I was in my apartment for weeks on end until I started helping out doing to-go drinks at the bar. And then things geared up that way. But I found myself in those first few weeks of the shutdown and, you know, in that sort of unknown at the beginning of the pandemic, scrolling through social media and, you know, seeing what other people were doing, whether it was people in New York or people in other cities or in other countries, seeing, you know, drinks they were creating at home or partnerships they were doing Mm -hmm. or, you know, digital classes they were teaching or, you know, there were so many resources available and so many people were scrambling to put things together and work on projects. And I found myself, you know, sitting in my small little Brooklyn apartment being like, oh my God, I'm such a failure. Because I, it was that immediate thing of look what everyone else around me is getting done to, to, yeah. yeah. And I, hate how much the word pivot is being used right now but I will use it you know everyone had pivoted immediately and here I was being like oh it's kind of nice to like have a week off right yeah and you know you know I'm glad you bring it up that way because you know often I think when when people talk about like oh like idealization of social media we kind of like instantly think like body image that's kind of what we've all been trained to think like oh social media helps you have an unrealistic like body image um and and continues like negative body image and negative self-talk but what you just brought up is like so important which is like the work side of social media and like I'm really guilty of this like you know, like seeing people getting opportunities to do things. And the pandemic really brought that up. Like, you know, there was a a brand, like a, a bunch of people I knew were posting for a certain brand and posting like cocktails for it. And I knew it was like a paid gig that they were getting. And, you know, in my head immediately, it's like, why didn't I get asked to do that? Um, sure. You know, and like social media can really create this like really narrow view of the world when like you have to take a step back and be like, there are thousands of bartenders in the United States. Like, yep, <laughs> you are one. You are one of tens of thousands of bartenders in the United States. Like, you're not hot shit. Like, and you know, not to like kind of not to beat yourself up, but like to just accept that like there are thousands of opportunities and there's also tens of thousands of bartenders in the United States. Like to not kind of let that narrow view of social media, like not every, I guess like in the, in the most honest, open way of saying it to yourself, being like, literally not everything that has to do with you. Like, right. <laughs> and that's hard, but that's hard. And especially, it is. I, especially when the world seems to have stopped around you and you feel like you're kind of watching people keep running ahead um, and of I, course. and you and I kind of talked about that a little bit, like, you know, back in uh, who knows, like April, Um, but yeah, that, that feeling of like, I'm not, I'm not doing enough for, uh, 
whatever. Of course. Well, and I mean, I think the most perfect way to sum it up is, you know, I'm very much speaking for myself, but I think I'm probably speaking for a lot of people in the hospitality industry is we do what we do because we love to be in a space with people and we love to provide an experience. And when all of that is just taken away from you literally overnight, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't help but be concerned, be confused, you know, wonder if you need to completely change what you're doing. And the amount of self-doubt that just instantly set in at the start of the pandemic was really upsetting. And yeah. and I know I'm not alone in that feeling. I know a lot of people felt that way, you know, regardless of being in the hospitality industry or not, you know, it's I will make it very clear that we're not the only industry that has been affected by this. But it, you know, just to lose essentially like your purpose and your passion overnight really makes, really makes you wonder. And the concern sets in and the confusion sets in. And obviously having this like constant stream of, um, you know, content coming from mm-hmm. other people can really, it, it can either be really comforting because you can see like, oh, right you know, 99.9% of my peers are in the exact same boat as me. But also, you know, if you're spending days at a time on your sofa and your sweatpants, like I was, and then seeing people in, you know, full face of makeup doing these bartending tutorials, Mm -hmm. you're immediately like, like you said, like, shit, why didn't I get asked to do that? Right. That's, that's just where your head jumps to immediately. But yeah, it's, it's been tough. So I've had to really I've, I've had to learn to self-soothe during this time. <laughs> what do you do to self-soothe? Um, honestly, I've, I have never been a particularly um, active person. You know, I, I, I cycle and mm-hmm. that's about it. But I really made a point at the start of this of, you know, even if it was 20 minutes of stretching a day, you know, just really taking time to get in touch with my body, which I've thankfully learned helps to get me out of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, you know, really been getting getting in touch with and taking care of my body. And also I've um, been disconnecting from electronics as much as possible. You know, I've been reading a lot. I, My sister at the start of this sent me the most excellent Jason Momoa coloring book. Oh, um, so I've, I've been, uh, I've been coloring, which actually has been really, really therapeutic. Um, and then honestly, I've just been doing biweekly zoom sessions with my therapist because mm-hmm. I know that I need that. Um, and it has been a lifesaver throughout mm-hmm. these past God, like six months. Well, let's talk about therapists. I feel like you are like the queen of therapy in some ways. The like, queen I like, of therapy. like you just like, <laughs> you know, like you're so open and, and willing to share about it. And so I guess I'd love to hear from you. Like, how did you find the right therapist for you? Um, how long have you been seeing your therapist? Um, do you have any advice for somebody looking for a therapist? Where, yeah, do, where do we start? I mean- Oh, God, that's a very good question. Um, I mean, first and foremost, finding a therapist is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically like dating. Yeah. um, It's, you know, it's a lot of trial and error, which is something I really stress to people. You know, I think a lot of folks getting into therapy expect to 
you know, go meet one therapist, have one 45 minute session and be cured. And or just expect that the first therapist you go to will be like a great fit for you. Exactly. And that's one thing I will say, you know, my current therapist I've been seeing for three years. But before then, I saw in New York, probably at least like five other therapists that, you know, either didn't work out or, you know, I saw for a year and then kind of realized like I wasn't really getting anywhere with them. You know, it was a variety of reasons. Um, And I feel very fortunate that the woman I I'm seeing now, I feel like I'm still continuing to learn and grow with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very fortunate when I was trying to find a new therapist three years ago. Uh, another friend of mine recommended uh, Psychology Today has a really fantastic resource in which you can go in. Um, and depending on what kind of like doctor or therapist you're looking for, you can narrow the search by that. You can narrow by insurance carriers. You can narrow by, you know, their fields of study, all sorts of things. And, you know, they're all vetted and certified. And then I reached out to about three or four therapists, sent emails, you know, set up either like phone calls or initial visits and just sort of felt it out from there. And, you know, that's something that I just really stress to people because I, you know, I, I feel very, um, it's very, uh, very kind that people feel comfortable asking me like for advice about this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that people feel comfortable having that conversation with me. And I think it is because I'm just so incredibly open about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that really is the thing that I stress to people is, you know, this is going to be work. Therapy is work. Right. You know, and, and I think it's unfortunately something that, you know, like Hollywood over the years has painted therapy as, you know, you go lay on this plush sofa <laughs> and or, you know, my favorite is like the episode of Sex in the City where Carrie starts going to therapy and friggin' Bon Jovi is the time session before her. And I'm like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I've never seen anyone that hot in the therapy session before me. Although I did used to see the same therapist as Alec Baldwin and he had the time slot before me. So that was pretty cool. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's I just I can't stress enough that it is work. Mm-hmm. And you might not find the right therapist right away, but you will find someone who works for you you just have to be committed to doing the work. Yeah. And I know that scares a lot of people. I know it's like, well, I'm already having a hard time. Like, I don't want to have to work on top of it. And I get it. Or like, like there's, there's definitely... that, you know, it's like how people are afraid to go see a new hairstylist because they don't want to like make their hairstylist upset or whatever. So they just like yep. have a horrible haircut. Totally. For, like, years and years. It's like, you don't have to like, you know, I even like my therapist, like when I was like, uh, you know, years back, like trying to get my ex into therapy, she was like, you know, I, I'm happy to suggest people that might be a better fit for him. You're like a lot of therapists, like there's plenty of people that need therapy, you know, like no therapist should, no one should be mad at you if it's not a good fit. And they, you no. know, they should like give you some suggestions of other people that they know, like, you know, it's not, you're not going to hurt anyone's feelings by being like, this is, this isn't a good fit for me. Like it's your health. Like, absolutely. (laughs) You're not like married to this person after one 45 minute like session. Right. And I of course totally get why that scares people. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, the first therapist that I saw that I knew right away, it wasn't going to work out. You know, I, I dreaded, I just sent an email, but even that I dreaded, you know? Mm -hmm. So I get it. I understand the fears and the hesitations, but 
if you're willing to do the work and put the time and energy into it, it is one of the best things you can do for yourself. Totally. I agree. 100%. Um, how have virtual therapy appointments been for you? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm not a huge fan to be completely honest. And I, I think a lot of that just sort of comes back to, you know, my personality type of, you know, I prefer to connect with people in person and mm-hmm. I, you know, prefer the energy in the room and the, yeah. the back and forth. And yeah. um, at this point I've, I've kind of adjusted to it because it's just what we have. Um, but it's not my favorite. And that's also, it's kind of a bummer because I have had some friends reach out, especially now, you know, dealing with a global pandemic and everything that's happened because of it. I know a lot of people would love to get into therapy now, but I think everyone's main concern is like, I don't want to start therapy over Zoom. Yeah. And I totally get that. I, get I completely that. understand that hesitation and that concern. Um, I wish I had a solution to that. I don't. Um, but I, I have known a few people who have started doing therapy virtually during this time and are happy that they did. So yeah, it's probably worth the, the awkward plunge. Yeah. I mean, I was really dreading the first appointment and like, now I'm, I'm, yeah, like you said, I'm used to it. I like the ritual. I like driving, you know, like I like going to the place. Totally. It's the same with the gym for me. Like I like going to the place and like having things. So you just have to kind of create your own little ritual at home for now. Well, you know, absolutely. I definitely found myself kind of being like, I wonder when we'll go back to normal <laughs> with the yeah. ther- with the therapy. Not, I mean, like you know, obviously with like everything, but like with therapy in particular. Yeah, it has been a funny thing that I've kind of wanted to be like. So, do you know when you're opening your office? <laughs> no <laughs> but, rush, but <laughs> right, it's, no pressure. I think, you know, that's I have to be respectful of her space. That's for her to decide, yeah. but. I'm, I'm very much ready to be back in a, in a physical therapist's office. Yeah, same. Um, all right. Well, the last question before we wrap it up, um, you know, you were recently promoted to be the general manager of Attaboy. Um, what a time. What a time. Oh, what <laughs> um, a time to take over. But it's awesome. And, you know, but being a manager is a lot of work. Um, and, you know, I think we work in an industry in general that like pretty much completely blurs the lines between work and personal life. And I can't even imagine what that might be like in a city like New York. I feel like it must be really amplified. Um, how do you achieve like some semblance of balance between work and personal life? And like, why is that important to you? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been a particularly difficult but important thing to figure out now, you know, Mm -hmm. when so much work is happening at home, um, it's been important for me to sort of figure out, even if it's just, you know, okay, I do bar work at the kitchen table and then every, like every other space in the apartment is a personal space, you know, sort of being able to carve out those physical spaces. Uh, But also again, just because, you know, everything is so, digital, um, I have had to, you know, create those boundaries of, okay, while, you know, when I'm physically at the bar, I will have my email notifications turned on on my phone. But as soon as I leave the bar, I'm turning them off. Because it also comes down to a thing of, you know, if anyone, if there's an emergency and anyone needs to get a hold of me, they're not going to email, they're going to call or text. So it's, you know, email, email can wait. Um, And it's, you know, just those very sort of simple things of, okay, email's off. 
obviously, you know, I still, I'm human. I still check my email throughout the night. So if anything comes up, I see it. Um, but it's just been very important, you know, especially as we've navigated, we still only have outdoor dining in New York, but, you know, as we've learned to navigate that, it's just been one thing after another. So, you know, it's constant influx, you know, constant emails, constant changes, constant text messages, um, being able to say to people, I can communicate with you this way during X hours. Right. And it's a weird thing because I feel like that's people don't nowadays. Yeah, they, yeah, they, <laughs> they don't like to be told that. No, uh, but I've just, I've really stuck by that because I, you know, I love what I do. I care about that place immensely. I care about my coworkers, like nobody's business, you know, Sam and Mickey, were friends of mine before I started at Attaboy. And now I'm just like, your your friends, your enemies, your <laughs> employees, your coworkers, your, you know, there's, they're just like, I, I love so much about that place, but I also recognize that it is not all of who I am and I can't let it be all of who I am because <laughs> I won't make it out alive. Man, say, so it's- say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> oh man. Like that, you are more that, than your place of employment. Get that tattooed on my forehead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true though. Like, and I mean, I even and I, I fully stand by that. Man, I should turn off my email notifications for when I'm not at work. I'm like terrified. The I thought of doing so it. terrifies the shit out of me. Um, it feels great though. It feels so good. Yeah. But, you know, it's like we live in this like digital world where, yeah, like it's like even if people like even if I tell LP, my business partner, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm I'm not working the rest of the day. If I see a message come through from her, I feel guilty for not responding to it because I saw totally, it. you know, and you have to be like, you know, you have to just tell yourself, like, just because you have a cell phone doesn't mean that you are expected to read messages all the time. And just because they're sending you a message doesn't mean that they're expecting an immediate response. You know, totally. I think that we all kind of put this expectation in our head of like oh, well, they emailed me, so they need a response right now. And it's like, right? well, no, they don't. They just emailed you because they needed to email you. Or maybe they've exactly. been forgetting to email you and they remembered right then. So they just did it. And you'll respond when you respond. Exactly. Yeah. Boy, that, whew, what a, what a, imagine that, not, you know, your, your existence not being limited to your work. Exactly. and it's something more and more you know especially nowadays as you know with our just like changing economic climate and changing social climate and everything I I have really had to evaluate you know like how much of who I am do I equate with what I do for work Mm -hmm. and you know I love what I do like I said I'm so incredibly happy and so fortunate to be in the career path in the position that I am but you know, I do need to take a step back and remember, like, you know, I'm how much money we bring in on a Friday night does not equate to how good of a person I am or who I am as a person. And I've had to really just sort of withdraw a little more and, you know, be able to say who Haley is as a bartender and who Haley is as a human walking this earth in 2020. And, I think we all could really benefit from doing that and being able to separate ourselves from our work for a variety of reasons, you know, for our mental health, for our happiness, for our, for our personal relationships, for a variety of things. Um, 
it's it's hard to do, but I think everyone could really benefit from evaluating that. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, we've kind of hit our time, but um, we, you know, we spend the FOH podcast talking about, you know, pretty heavy shit and um, and pretty much not a lot to do with cocktails and things that we also really love and are fun. So I really like to wrap up the podcast with just like a quick little question, um, which is if you could have a drink anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? And what would you drink? Oh, my goodness. That's a very good question. I was supposed to spend my 30th birthday last weekend in cognac. Um, So if I could be sipping cognac, watching the sunset in France, that would be really stellar. Yeah. (laughs) One day. One day. Next year. I didn't realize it was your 30th birthday last week. It was well next I'm, year. I am still very much a baby. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. It was so thank awesome you. to get to chat. Um, I really appreciate your, you know, your openness and your honesty. And um, I hope everybody heard what you had to say about letting yourself exist outside of work because I can't. That couldn't resonate with me more, honestly. Highly recommend it. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. It was very great chatting with you, my dear. Bye. This episode was brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Most Imaginative Bartender. To learn more about the Most Imaginative Bartender competition and the Canvas project, go to mostimaginativebartender.punchdrink.com. We hope to catch you next week for our next episode of Focus on Health and make sure to tune in this coming Wednesday, November 18th for the launch of No Proof with Joshua Gandy.